0: Series called Who is This Man? That we're starting today. We wrapped up our relationship series last week with Pastor Justin Ross from Impact City Church, and uh, so such a blessing that was. If you missed that whole series, make sure you go back and listen to it. In fact, I, you just need to understand that this year is being intentionally laid out for you. We, we took a focus at the beginning of the year to discover and learn about the power and the authority of our Bibles through the series called It Is Written, and then we focused on our secondary relationships, which is, so our first relationship is with God, our secondary relationships with each other, and then we're going back to the main character of the Bible. So we're going to spend the next seven weeks looking at who Jesus is. We're going to talk about his attributes, his personality, things that stood out about Jesus, his traits. And we're going to lead this, do this series all the way up to Easter. Now, I mentioned that because Easter is a great time to invite people to church. They say statistically that if you invite somebody to church, more than 70% of people will say yes. But on Easter Sunday that number is higher. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Two things. Practice inviting people to church. If you love this place, if God is moving in your life, invite people to church. And you don't have to wait until Easter to do that, okay? For those of you that fear rejection, like me, that's why I've made a terrible sales guy. Uh, 70%, over 70% is a good number, right? It's not likely that you'll be rejected. So invite somebody to church. Practice it. And then Start praying for the person that you might invite to church. Ask God to begin to work on their heart so that when you extend the invitation, whether it's the, in the next coming weeks or ever or at Easter that they'll say yes, right? And so you can practice these next few weeks. Get, get a rejection five times and maybe on the sixth time they'll say yes. Amen everybody. So let let's be inviters. Let's be bringers of people to church, okay? so in this series, as I said, we're going to look at the different idea, traits or aspects of Jesus because honestly, most of you have some idea of who he is. You've got some 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 image of him in your mind, and for the most part, those might be incorrect because they're influenced by culture they're influenced by religion or tradition or what you've heard about Jesus, or maybe what we see in paintings about Jesus, right, that he's this white guy wearing a robe with a crown, with like a a gold halo over his head, and he's always looking so sad off in the distance. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Jesus was none of those things, right? He didn't walk around with a halo on his head, and so, so, so here's the thing. The, the, the things that most of us know about Jesus are just not biblical, so we're going to go to our Bibles, and we're going to learn about Jesus, and each week, I'm going to help you know him better, because it matters. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get started in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, you'll remember, friends, so this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and these are his friends. He said, that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. Now, why is Paul addressing this? Well, because we like that stuff. We, we listen to, a lot of us tune into podcasts because we're looking for new information on a regular basis. We, we like TED Talks because it's punchy, it's new, it's interesting, it makes you think, you're like, huh, that's kind of cool. We like that kind of stuff. We like new philosophy. We like new ideas. But Paul's like, I didn't come to you with any of that kind of stuff. A lot of people say, Aaron, on Sundays, they want me to make it deep. What they mean is they want to leave church just a little bit confused, Right. <laughs> They want me to talk about new ideas and philosophies that don't matter. They, they, they want me to, to, to bring it in a, in a way that is, it's just, it, tell me something I don't already know. But see, we don't do that here at Simple Church. We do what like Paul did. He said, I deliberately kept it plain and, and everybody say that word? Simple. Yeah, welcome to Simple Church. We just do it simple here, right? He said, first, Jesus and who he is, right? That's what we're doing this series. Who is this man? And then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified, which is where we're going to end this series on Easter Sunday, is him being crucified. So who is this man? We'll spend the next seven weeks identifying and answering that question. Today, we're going to answer it with this trait, and this is probably one of my favorite ones. I might say that every single week because I really do love Jesus. And I love lots about him. Uh, but, but he is my best friend. That, that's the answer. He wants you to know him personally, the way that he knows you. That's an intimate knowledge. It's an intimate understanding of who he is. You say, well, how personal would he like me to know him? Well, I don't know. Let's say this. Do you have family and friends that you're really close with? And if you do, it's likely that those people you're really close with, you have nicknames for them, right? You don't call them by their names anymore. Maybe, maybe it's like Cheryl Lee. We call you Shell. We call you Shell. I don't even know how she got that nickname. I called her Shell one day, and she said, how do you know that name? I said, I just heard everybody else calling you Shell. And so I like it because here's what nicknames do. Nicknames do two things. They endear you to the person that you're close with and they help describe the relationship. They help describe the person or the relationship that you have with them. Around my house, everybody's got a nickname. Everybody's got a nickname. My wife, I hardly ever call her Shanda. I call her babe. Hey, babe. Hey, babe. Now on social media I call her sugar booger. I never call her that to her face. I say, hang out with my sugar booger. Y'all like that. You comment, sugar booger, that's ridiculous. She's gonna kill you. She never does, she just laughs. <laughs> She's gonna kill me today though. Okay. I got nothing. Did you see that? There was nothing. It's cool. But my kids also have nicknames too, which they're probably going to kill me that I'm telling you. My, my son, as a young age, one of them, his name's Trent, but we called him Trennerbug. My cousin has a child, and she couldn't say his name Trent, so she called him Tremp. So for years, we've been walking around calling my son Trent. T-R-E-M-P, Trent. It's just pronounced wrong. We call him Tremp. Tyler. Tyler was Tyler Boo as a young kid, right? But we now call him, his friends, his close friends call him T.J. or Ty nowadays. Uh, my daughter, Kasaya, she has a very interesting name. And most people want to change her name when they read it. Even if you say it to them, you say, Kesaya. And they go, Keisha? (laughs) Kesaya. Kezia? Like, they they just want to... So we just shortened it. We call her Kiki. In fact, she is known. If you go down in kids' ministry, when my daughter is down there, or you go to Honduras on a mission trip with us, the kids are just chanting her name. Kiki, 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 Kiki. In fact, we counted at one point in time. She's got about 14 different nicknames because people have such trouble pronouncing her name. My favorite one is Little Puddin. I like that one. It's, yeah, it's good. I had nicknames growing up. Some I didn't like. One of my least favorite was Captain Calories. That one hurt my heart and my stomach. That was my brother. He called me that one. Uh, in, my, in high school, they called me, they called me Smalls or Smally. I got a friend sitting right here. When I pick up the phone, he goes, D-Long. His name is Woodland, right? But that's his last name. We talk to each other based on our last names. Maybe that's just a guy thing. But other people, if you've ever seen me perform, I do, I do magic and sleight of hand. People call me magic man. In, in, uh, in so, some industries that I work in, weddings and funerals, they call me the closer because they've never seen a pastor do a ceremony so quickly. Serious. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> Just saying, they call me the closer. I've been called Reverend. I've been called Pastor. Some people call me P.A. You can call me Aaron. It's fine. But, but nicknames endear you to people. And, the, and they also describe the relationship or describe the person. Jesus had a given name. In fact, in, Mar- in Matthew 121, this is the angel talking to Mary, his mother. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Because he'll save people from their sins. Now, that during that time, Jesus was a common name. There was a lot of Jewish mothers who named their sons Jesus. Maybe they all thought he was going to be the Messiah. I'm not sure. But just because you had the name didn't make you the Christ child, right? But the angel said to Mary specifically, you're, you're going to call him Jesus. That's going to be your son. And so Mary conceives miraculously and has this, this child. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit overshadows her, and that's how she gets pregnant. And she, she has this son named Jesus. But look two verses later talking about what will happen, says the virgin, that's of course Mary, will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So Mary, you're going to call him Jesus, but the people that he hangs out with, the people that he spends time with, they're going to have a nickname for him. They're going to call him Emmanuel, because it means God with us. Jesus wants a relationship with you where you call him by his nickname, You say, Aaron, I'm confused now. Am I supposed to pray and call him Emmanuel? No, not, not necessarily. We're just talking about the closeness of the relationship here. Mary, you'll call him Jesus. They'll call him something else. Nicknames endear you and describe the relationship. Because here's the thing. Jesus didn't just come to save us from our sins. He came to be with us. He came to live his life with us. And many of you know Jesus as the Savior. But you don't know Jesus in this personal up-close relationship. And Jesus, you need to understand, there's a mystery throughout Scripture that Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he came to be with us. That's why Emmanuel is so important. That nickname, God with us. Because see, there's, there are plenty of lowercase g gods that exist in this world, and they dwell in the heavens and in far-off places, and they rule from, from a distance. But Jesus is not like God other gods. Jesus said, I'm not going to shout, I love you from the heavens. I'm going to show up as a man on earth and show you how much I love you. This is Jesus. He was God with us. John said it this way. By the way, John was Jesus's closest friend here on earth. In fact, when he writes about himself in the book of John, he says, and the one Jesus loved. That was his way of saying, my BFF, right? But John says this. He doesn't even use Jesus's name. He uses the word word. Now, if you look at this in scripture, this word word right here is capitalized word. It's a a capitalization. It's a nickname. It's a name he's given him to describe his characteristics and his traits. He says the word became flesh. So Jesus put on a flesh suit and he made his dwelling among us. Jesus didn't come just to teach and to preach and to die. He came to live among us because, you know, the preaching part, his ministry part, it lasted three years. And according to timelines, we can see Jesus was here about 33 years. That means for 30 years of his life, he was doing something else. Do you know what he was doing? Being human. Just being a man, hanging out, living life in the same way that you and I did. He had a career, he was a carpenter, he worked with his dad. For 18 years, he would have done that. From the age of 12 up until the age of 30, when he started his ministry, he would have worked with his earthly father, Joseph, before the cross. And before he did any miracles, there was 30 years of just life. 30 years of life. It's important. You say, why? Hebrews 2.17 says this. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as a high priest to get rid rid of the people's sins, here's the answer to the Why? He would have already experienced it all himself. What's the it in this sentence? Life. Everything that you and I go through, Jesus experienced it. He experienced it and he understands it. All the pain, all the testing, and would we'll be able to help where help was needed. Jesus wanted to understand our lives personally. He would be a God that we could relate to, not a God that was separated from us. A God that was with us, a God that would understand it. He wanted to understand your pain so that he could sympathize with you. You know what sympathy is, right? Sympathy is when when you're in sync with somebody. Like, I understand you because I've walked through it. And because I've walked through it, I get it and my heart breaks for you. Sympathy. Jesus wanted to be able to sympathize with us by a mutual experience. For me, I personally, I've gone through mental health issues and struggles. I've gone through financial struggles, marital struggles. I've gone through health struggles. I've gone through betrayal, divorce, addiction, rejection. I've been through it. So when you come along and you're going through it, I sympathize with you. There's grace. There's a place that I get to, get to walk alongside you that very few people get to because I went through it. I understand it. Jesus wanted this. This level of intimacy with you. This kind of connection with you. Not a God that couldn't understand. He is a God who understands because he's been there. And there's three things, specific things. That if you're taking notes, this will help you understand Jesus better. And that's my goal, is to help you understand him better. So first thing you need to know that Jesus understands is he understands relationships. He understands relationships. Why? How could he? Well, Jesus had a family In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, they're talking about Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? So there's his mom, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. So he's got four brothers. These, by the way, are half-brothers because, remember, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then Mary and Joseph got married later and and had these kids. So he's got four brothers. And he says, aren't his sisters here with us too? So we can, we can understand from Scripture, even though they never list all the names of his sisters, he at least had two because that's a plural, sisters, right? It isn't his sister here. It's his sisters. So he at least had two. That's six siblings. You know that house was crazy. You know that at some point in time Jesus got tied up. You know that he got pinned down and he got tickled. You know that he got locked out of the house and there was pranks galore going on across the house. You know there was frustrations, there was screaming, there was crying, and that was just Monday night. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Jesus understood the family dynamic. He absolutely got it. He also was single. Jesus we there's no there's no place in scripture that indicates that Jesus ever took a wife and was married. And so Jesus understands what it's like to walk without a partner in that way. He understands. He gets it. He also understands The the road that comes along with that, the temptation to sin and the sexual temptation that comes along with it, attraction, the Bible says he was tempted like all of us, and yet he didn't sin. So so he understood that part of it. Some of you married people are like, aha, I got you, pastor. Jesus don't know nothing about being married. Yes, he does. Though he was never married to a wife, the Bible says that, that he is the groom and the bride is the church. That Jesus laid down his life for you in the same way that husbands are supposed to lay down their lives for their wives. That, that he did this for the church. That's all of us. That's those that follow him. In fact, a, as a part of being married to us in that covenant committed relationship with us, he's also experienced betrayal and unfaithfulness because we're unfaithful every day. Unfaithful to him. Jesus also understand having friends. He had lots of people that surrounded him. He had John, his BFF. He had uh, Peter and James, who were his, his other two close friends, and then he had the rest of the disciples. He also had Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene. He had uh, Lazarus and so many other friends the Bible records. Jesus had friends, but he also went through friendship pain. Peter, when all the other disciples scattered after, after they were taken in the garden before Jesus, just before Jesus was crucified, Peter follows along, but he denies that he ever knew him three times. And Judas... One of his 12 betrays him, and he did it with a kiss. It's crazy. I imagine that scene that there's a guard sitting there, and Judas is explaining the situation. Okay, guys, I'm going to walk into the garden, and I'm going to kiss the guy. And the guard's like, you know, you could probably just walk in and point at him. And Judas is over there putting on chapstick saying, I don't tell you how to do your job. Don't tell me how to do mine. (laughs) Do you think about what you're reading in the Bible? I do. <laughs> Why? Anyway, all right, we're off track. We don't want to go there. <laughs> so Jesus is betrayed as well. He understands all of that. He gets it. Why did he go all through all that? Not just so that you'd have a good story to read in Scripture. He went through all that because he wanted to understand what we go through what we go through in our relationship. Jesus would have also experienced the loss of a loved one. You know, his, his earthly father, Joseph, is not recorded after a certain age. We don't see Joseph showing up at the wedding of Cana. We see, we see his mother. We don't see Joseph at the cross. Certainly his earthly father would have been there. So it's a good, it's a good chance that, his, that Joseph, his earthly father, had passed on. We also know that Jesus lost one of his close friends, Lazarus. And even though Jesus knew he was going to go and raise him from the dead, he took time, John eleven thirty five, 35, and it says, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the whole Bible. He took time to cry over the loss of his friend. He's experienced it. His family thought he was crazy, didn't believe in him. Mark three twenty one. when his family heard about this, Jesus is out there casting out devils, by the way, healing people. They showed up on the scene. They wanted to take charge for him. They wanted, to, they wanted to take him to the psych ward. Sorry, guys, he hasn't had enough sleep today. It's okay, he's off his meds. It's all right, come on, Jesus. <laughs> like, they, they, wanted to, they wanted to take charge of him. They said he's out of his mind. Jesus understands your relationships. Next thing he understands is life. He gets your daily grind. He had one, too. Go to bed early, get up early, set your alarm, go to work. Like, he, he had it. Religion says Jesus was like this white guy in a robe, and he sat around doing this all day long. (laughs) Think about every painting you've ever seen of him, or holding a child, or he's sitting next to a sheep with a staff. This is not what Jesus would have looked like. If Jesus were modern day, he'd probably be in jeans, T-shirts, steel-toed boots, and a construction hat because he was a carpenter. He's a guy who was used to working with his hands. He also wouldn't have been white. I'm sorry if that upsets you, but he lived in the Middle East. He was Jewish. And here's the thing, being a carpenter for 18 years does not make you soft. He likely had calloused hands and had a rough exterior. I mean, come on guys, he didn't have a nail gun. He didn't have any power tools. He did it all manually. He built things. He dealt with upset customers. I'm sure he had to redo some projects from time to time because it didn't meet their expectations. He had to do the daily grind. He paid taxes. He walked through disappointments, bad economy. All of this was just as important as his preaching, his miracles, his dying, and his rising. Why? He did all of it with a purpose so that he could understand life Hebrews 4:15 says for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin. Jesus walked through this life and faced everything that you have faced. The temptations, the trials, the pain, all of it. He's faced it. In fact, that's the next thing he understands is pain. He understands pain. Some of you are here today you're in pain. Not just physical pain, but you're in emotional pain. You're experiencing it on a regular basis. And I will tell you, emotional pain is is worse than physical pain. Oftentimes, they can be connected. Emotional pain is tough. In Isaiah 53, 3, it says this, he was despised. This is a prophecy about who Jesus would be. He was despised. Do you know what the word despised means? It means regarded as unworthy. Some of you can understand that. Some of you, a parent, or a teacher, coach, a boss, leader, maybe even a church leader, somebody made you feel unworthy. Somebody told you you weren't good enough. That, that you weren't good enough for the promotion, you weren't good enough for that opportunity, you weren't good enough to get picked on the team, or picked for the team, that, that you weren't good enough. There was something about you that you lacked and you were unworthy. But that's not where the word despised ends. It says, unworthy, and this is the painful one, of one's notice or consideration. That, that this isn't, you're just, you just don't fit on the team. This is like, you're not even worthy of me looking in your direction. Jesus understood that pain, and some of you feel that. Some of you have felt that for a long time in your life. Jesus gets it. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and familiar with suffering. Do you know what that man of sorrows means? It means that he, he, on more than one night, he likely cried himself to sleep. That he understood sorrows and suffering. Why? So that he could understand us. So that he could sympathize with us. Now that's just the emotional pain. That was before the crucifixion, because we know that he went through some serious pain leading up to that. We know that he was beaten, and we know that that pain was Terrible that there was, there was absolutely nothing like it. In fact, consider this. Jesus could have entered all of history and all of time at any point, point. and yet he and the Father chose the time when capital punishment was at its worst because crucifixion wasn't just an injection like we have nowadays. You know, if, you, if we're going to punish somebody and, and, and with the death penalty, they, it, 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 you know, it slows their heart, they don't feel anything, and they just pass away. That, that's, that's very kind I don't want to argue that point, but you understand what I'm saying. That's, that's very kind. But Jesus stepped into history. When, this, when capital punishment was at its worst, it was torture. And that torture of crucifixion often lasted days. Because if the beating didn't kill you, if the nails in your hands and feet didn't kill you, then as you hung there, you would slowly suffocate, and sometimes that would last days as birds landed on you and picked at your flesh. As you hung there, humiliated and naked. This is the worst kind of punishment, and Jesus said, let me step into that. Let, let me step into that time in history, because I want to face the worst. I want to understand the worst pain possible. He was a man familiar with pain. And he wanted that because when you and I walk through physical pain, he wanted you to know that he's not standing in in heaven judging you because you're like, Jesus, I got a headache. I need some help. Hey, Jesus, my knee's hurting today. Hey, my hip's a little off. My back's kind of aching. Jesus walked through all kinds of pain, and none of it's trivial. He wanted you to know he can sympathize, he's familiar with pain. So he, see, in Isaiah 53, 5, it says, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He understands relationships. He understands life, and he understands pain. And I think all of that about Jesus qualifies him for this thing, and that's to be your best friend. Because here's why. Do you know how quick it, Quickly, you can make friends with somebody who has a common experience with you. When you find somebody has a similar interest or common experience, I did this this past summer. I went to a place called OnSite. I checked in to, to invest in my, my mental health journey. And I went and spent a week in Nashville. And I met a bunch of people who were there to, to also do what we call the work. It's, it's the emotional work. It's the, to deal with the relational trauma and the pains of our lives and to just talk about them and be loved through a process. And so I went to get, to get healthy and be strong, and I met nine people in a room that I spent the week with. And not only did we have common experiences that brought us to that room, but then we had that week-long common experience together. And at the end of that week, I never knew I could love eight other strangers as much as I loved those eight other strangers. So quickly, didn't know much about their lives. In fact, you weren't supposed to ask them what they did for a living. You could barely dive in and know them, know them for who they were outside of that space. But I grew deeply in love with them, and to this day, they're some of of my closest friends. I talk to them all the time. Why? Because of common experience. If you get this, if you understood that what you're going through right now and all that you've been through was common to Jesus, I think it would open the floodgates for you to step into a relationship that is very different. That's what I want for you. I want you to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I want you to see him as someone who has everything in common with you, your life, your relationships, your pain. In Proverbs, I believe this was a prophecy about Jesus coming saying this, that a man of many companions may come to ruin. And many of you know that. You've got friends and family in your life, and yet there's still pain. He says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That friend is Jesus, and he wants to be your best friend. Jesus is my best friend, and I want that for you as well. You say, okay, Aaron, what do I do? I've got three simple things, three simple things that you can do. The first thing is, Make Jesus your best friend. I know that seems simple. It is. It's intentionally simple. Some of you just need to go online and update your, your Facebook status, your relationship status with Jesus from casual acquaintance, the Savior and Lord, to best friend. Say, so, you know, I, I'm in a relationship that is different than him just being my Lord. He, he is my friend. In fact, when you get to heaven... This is what determines whether you step in through those pearly gates or not. See, so if you think it's about just showing up on Sunday, or you prayed a prayer at one point in time, that's not what it's about. The Bible bears out that when you get up to heaven, that God's going to ask you, what did you do with my son Jesus? And Jesus gets to be the guy that says, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, I know that guy. Don't know that guy. And it says in Matthew, Matthew I believe it's Matthew 7, yep, Matthew 7, that says there's a whole bunch of people that say, hey, Lord, didn't we show up at church on Sunday? Didn't we sing songs? Didn't we put money in the offering? Didn't we serve on a team? Lord, didn't we? Didn't we? And they list this whole whole list of things that they did in his name. And he's like, yeah, but I I didn't know you. I, I don't know you. It's your relationship with him that provides entry into heaven. He wants you to know him in the way that he knows you intimately as a friend. In fact, you need to know that he thinks of you this way. If you're a Christ follower here today, he thinks of you as a friend. Talking about his followers on the days when he walked this earth, he said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Jesus is like, I got servants. They're called angels. They do whatever I tell them to do. He said, not you. He said, instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You're my friends. So adjust your expectations of your relationship." He's not just the Lord that we sing songs to on Sundays and say hello to and, and we pray in Jesus' name over our meal to. He, he's your friend. So make him your best friend. And since he gets your life, your pain, and your relationships, here's the second thing you can do. I know it's simple. Don't overlook it. Talk to him. Talk to him. He understands all that you're going through. Just talk to him about it. Stop praying so formally. We've got these formal prayers that we learned from tradition and from family and growing up. There's no reason to, to, to when somebody asks you to say grace, that you say the same words over, Jesus, thank you for this food. Bless it to our bodies. Amen. There, there's, you don't have to pray so formally. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die, don't let me die before I wake. I pray the Lord my soul to take. What a creepy prayer. Not just the way I prayed it, but have you ever considered those words? There's no reason to be so formal. Yes, there is this awesomeness of God, and we're going to talk about that. Yes, yes, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man, which means that there's informal approach that he desires with you. There's a relationship that is more of a buddy, more, more of the way that teenagers now handle their relationships. I look at my kids' text messages from time to time. They know that I do that. It's not a surprise. And for the most part, it's just like, hey, hey, W-I-D, nothing. H-B-U, Nothing. WYD is what you doing. HBU is how about you. And this is the way the conversation goes. It's just a constant check-in. Hey, what's going on? Hey, what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing later? Hey. 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 I do that. I before in the mornings when I leave, I kiss my wife tell her bye, and then I'll go and I'll have I'll have meetings or I'll have appointments or whatever, and I'll get in my truck and I'll travel to the next place, and the first thing I do, I pick up the phone and call her. Hey, what are you doing? I know she's working that's not what I'm asking. Hey, how's your day going? Hey, are you thinking about me? Hey, hey, send me a kissy face picture. Hey, <laughs> I forgot what you look like. Can you send me one? Send me a picture. Just, just checking in throughout the day. This is the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with you. In fact, the Bible describes it as a pray without ceasing. We say well, See, to pray without ceasing, if you just look at your time of talking to Jesus as these moments throughout the day, then you can't pray without ceasing. But if you consider them as informal moments, just a constant check-in, how you doing? Man, that was a rough meeting. Wow. I love that. Thank you. Hey, that was really great. Thanks for that special gift today. I appreciate you showing up, showing, showing off that way. Felt your love today. Hey, walk with me. I need some wisdom. i got to have a tough conversation. Hey, I'm a parent. i got a kid going through some stuff that I don't know how to deal with. I need some wisdom. Just just talk to him. He understands. He already knows there's no shame in anything that you're thinking or feeling. He can handle it all. Have you ever read the Psalms? David whines and complains all the time, and yet he's putting it in the right place. He's giving it to a God who can... Handle that, hear that, understand his hurts and his fears and his pains. The benefit of sharing your life with each other. And if you're in relationship with me, I'm listening for what you're thankful for, and I'm listening for what's stressing you out. And what you're stressed out about, I'm gonna pray with you. I- I'm gonna pray about for you. What you're, what you're thankful for, I'm gonna celebrate with you. But here's the thing praying for you is is taking your needs that you've expressed before God and going, hey God. My buddy's really stressed today. Ryan's having a difficult time with. Hey God, I I need you to show up big for somebody's mom. They need healing. Here's the thing. As much as as, as that is my role in my relationships and my friendships, Jesus does the same thing. The Bible says that what he's doing in heaven right now is praying for you. That he goes before the Father. Hey Dad, Dad, I've been there. That's not easy to do. Hey, Dad, I, I understand that pain. Can we heal him? Hey, hey Dad, we, we need to show up in a big way here. I, n- I know what it's like to lose a friend. He knows. And so when you talk to him, just like a friend, he goes before the Father on your behalf and shares he knows because here's the thing I don't know what you think about God but God is not against you he's for you Jesus understands you he cares for you loves you he's good and he wants good things for you just as any friend would and because of that he's praying for you and here's what that allows us to do knowing that he understands Hebrews 4:16 says let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence why so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Talking to Jesus, it grants us this beautiful thing, three things, you ready? Grace means you get what you didn't deserve. Mercy, you don't get what you did deserve. And help, and my God, we need help, don't we? We need help on a regular basis. So make him your best friend. Talk to him. And the last thing is trust him with your life. Trust him with every part of your life, not just your sins and your mistakes. Trust him with your future. Trust him with your relationships, your finances, your sexuality. Trust him with every part of your life. He's worthy of being trusted. He's shown that. He went through so much that he didn't have to. Just to show us how much he loved us and his desire to understand us. He is trustworthy. John 1:12 says, "But to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. All they needed to do was trust him to save them." He can be your best friend cuz he's the best kind of friend. He's that one friend in your life who can do what no one else can do. I got lots of friends in my life, I got people that are good with accounting. I got people that are good at marketing. I got people that are creative people and artists and performers. And I got all kinds of, I got construction people. I got, I got all kinds of people that can do stuff that I can't. But Jesus is my one friend who can do what no one else can do. He's the only one who could give his life for me and you. He's the only one who walked through temptation and didn't sin. He's the only one who could give his life in exchange for ours to pay a price that we could not pay. And he gave his life. He died on that cross, rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have our relationship with God restored. He's a friend that you need. He's a friend. He's a friend. He's fully man, and he's also fully God. He loves you. He believes in you. He's not mad at you. He's for you. He's good. He is trustworthy, so trust him with your life. David encouraged us this in Psalm 37, 5. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. Now, a lot of us in this room or maybe some of us, we want to do things our way. We want to approach God and, and demand that he do what we want, how we want. We don't want to trust him with everything. But, but we have to trust him with everything. He steps onto the scene and helps us. We commit our ways to him. This is when he steps onto the scene. This is when your life begins to transform. And trust is a choice. You know that? It's a choice. So choose it today. Let's pray. There are people in this room right now, this is your moment of decision. I'm gonna choose. Choose to trust Jesus with your whole life. So here's the invitation. If that's you and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, and you need to begin one. To begin a personal relationship, one where you experience all that he has for you, the fullness of the life here on earth, heaven that waits for us in eternity. If you want to experience a restored relationship with God, this is your moment. I say talk to him. We call that prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. And if you're here today and you're ready to make that commitment, to pray that prayer and mean it from your heart, I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. Would you just slip your hand up right now? Nobody's looking around. To say, Aaron, that's me. I'm going to make a commitment today. I'm going to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to make him my best friend. Would you do that now? Slip your hand up. Be bold. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, proud of you. Put your hands down. Everybody here in this room, let's pray together so nobody's praying alone. Say, Jesus, I need you. Be my best friend. Forgive me of my past. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. And show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.